Well, let me encourage you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, as verses 25 through 40. We've been studying through this book for the past uh, number of months since uh, early in the year. We've been looking chapter by chapter, verse through verse. We've been looking at all of the issues that Paul has been addressing at this church in Corinth through this letter. And now we come to a passage of scripture regarding the subject of singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9 and 25 through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, and verses 25 through 40, regarding the blessings of singleness or the reasons to remain single, Paul writes here, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from the Lord, one in this manner. And another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet. Such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as those though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, 
but has authority over his own will and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer together before we begin our study. Our God in heaven, we once again open your word and we desire, O Father, that it be divided correctly, that we might know you, that we might understand your truth. So we ask, O God, once again, open our eyes that we might see great and mighty things in thy law. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As you know, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul has been covering a number of subjects, from division in the church, to those who seek human wisdom, to lawsuits in the church, to those who tolerated immorality. Now we've come to chapters 7 through 11. 7 through 11, in which Paul addresses a number of questions that they had written to him in a letter. And one of the first subjects that he addresses is a subject of marriage, marital relations. And this particular section, he addresses those who are single. This morning we come to the subject, which is often not spoke of in relatively positive terms. Those adults who are not married, whether they are widows, whether they are divorced, or whether they are virgins. An article written entitled Christian Singles by Howard Vanderwall writes this. I believe most Christians don't subscribe to the legitimacy of singleness. I'm convinced that is the reason for so much pain and hurt in the church about that issue, directly or indirectly. Subtly or not subtly, we have subscribed to the conviction that singles are unfinished business. We say in groups and in private conversations, quote, Aren't you married yet? Well, what, a ni- what is a nice girl like you doing unmarried? What you need is a good wife. Found anyone to date yet? I'm praying the Lord will lead you to a good guy. It's too bad he's not married. Parents say that, relatives say that, family reunions apparently are notorious for saying those kinds of things. Books and articles are written from a Christian viewpoint that say, quote, If you will only commit your life to Christ, God will give you a marriage partner, unquote. Christ never said that. He said he will lead you to a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. He never said he would give you marriage. He's more concerned about other things, unquote. It's fascinating that in an article in the New York Times in January 2007, it finally records the percentage of folks, it's interesting what they recorded, 51% of women lived without a spouse in 2006. That marked the first time in American history that single women outnumbered married women. In an article entitled, 51% of women are now living without a spouse, 
It might be interesting to know, too, that in America, 96 million Americans are unmarried, which is about 43% of the American population, the adult population, that is. And there are more than 31 million one-person households in the U.S., representing roughly 27% of all households. And as of 2000, this was the most common household type. Now, I'm not saying these statistics are either good nor bad. These are just what it is. There are plenty of reasons why people give as to why there are more single adults in America today. Some say it's because of a greater emphasis upon education and career versus beginning a family. Some say it's because of a lack of commitment. Some say it's because people are more selfish and materialistic than ever before. Whatever the reason is... Oftentimes, it's a negative connotation in which singles are relegated to a substandard class, sort of unfinished business. Whatever the case may be, and whatever the reason might be for a particular individual circumstance, whether a person is a widow, whether a person is divorced, whether a person has never been married ever, whatever the case, we find that the scriptures portray and give instruction to those who are single. And those who are single can live very fruitful lives. We see the lives of many single individuals in the scriptures. Young Timothy who pastored a church. There was the Apostle Paul who wrote nearly half of the New Testament. There was Anna, if you remember. She was the woman who was a widow early in her life, sometime around the age of 20. When they brought the baby Jesus to her and she dedicated her life to prayer in the temple and serving the Lord. And then there was John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus himself, in fact. Today, so we look at this passage and we look at what the scriptures say about singleness. A list that many people, perhaps even Christians today, would never say about singles because oftentimes they would say that it is not good. And here in this particular text, there is what? Instruction about the goodness, the blessedness, the benefits, and the joys of being single. Not to say that there is not blessedness and benefit to being married as well, but God has called different people to different callings in life. And so as we look at this particular passage, we look at two sections. We look at the section in verses 7 through 9, and then we look at the section from 25 through 40. And the first thing we note, among all things, is that singleness may be a gift. It may be a gift in verse 7. Paul writes, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, Paul, in this passage, he indicates himself that he himself is not married at the time. Some people, there is some debate as to whether or not he was ever married. I believe that he was married at one time. I believe that he was a widower. He being a Pharisee of Pharisees, a person who followed the letter of the law. He being a rabbi and a member of the Sanhedrin, of which one would be required to be married. So sometime, I believe, his wife passed away, died. Somehow, I believe that he was married at one time. And Paul indicates here that he himself was a single individual. And he calls that singleness a gift. 
The word is charisma. The same word from which we get the word for spiritual gift. Although in this particular context, it's not necessarily a spiritual gift. We know it is a gift from God. And more particularly, notice what it says. It says, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. Singleness is a gift, if one has that gift. And those who are married have their gift as well. Everyone has a gift. And whether that is a single life or a married life, both, it indicates, are gifts from God. And as I shared with you last week, some don't look at it as a gift of singleness. Some feel it is a curse of singleness. We know scriptures tell us that it is a gift whether one has one or whether one has another. Now, singleness is not a gift by default. In other words... If a person's been single for many, many years or unsuccessful in their personal relationships, they don't automatically, by default, have, quote-unquote, the gift. There could be a variety of reasons that a person is single. Maybe they're a particular missionary in a remote area. Maybe they have a different personality, such they're socially reclusive. It doesn't mean that God has given them that gift simply because of their marital status. Many people are widows, for example, or widowers. Many people are virgins or they're divorced. It does not mean that they have a particular gift. So not everyone who is single has the gift of singleness. And I mentioned to you before the question of how does one know if they have the gift of singleness? I've heard, you know, people, when their son or daughter is getting older and they're thinking to themselves, boy, I wonder why they're not married yet. You know, Johnny is 25. How come he's not married yet? And they start to think, well, does he have the gift or not? And so you ask yourself, well, the text gives us some indication of what is a part of this gift of singleness. How do you know if somebody has the gift of singleness? Verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now the question, first of all, before we come to that particular question, is who are the unmarried? You notice in verse 8 it says, the unmarried and to the widows. Well, the term simply means one who is not married. It's the word married with a negation prefix to it. This particular word is used four times in the New Testament. Four times. Only four times. And it's used only in this book. In fact, it's only used in this particular chapter, this word unmarried. So when we do our study, we look at verse 32. Verse 32. The word there is unmarried. And in a general sense, it simply means somebody who's not married. But then we look at verse 34. It says the woman who is unmarried and the virgin. So we know that this unmarried person is not a virgin. They are two different types or two different categories of individuals. We know that they are not a virgin. And then when we look at verse 8, it says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows. So we know that the unmarried that Paul is speaking of here isn't in reference to those who are virgins, is not a reference to those who are widows. But what does it say in verse 10? But to the married I give instruction, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Here it refers to those who have been divorced. 
I believe that it refers to those who have been separated from their husbands. In other words, the unmarried are not the widows, they're not the virgins. I believe that they are the unmarried either in a general sense in verse 32 or those particularly, those seemingly indicates those who are divorced. But to those who are divorced and those who are widows, Paul writes it would be better, he says. He thinks it would be better for them to remain single except under conditions. Certain conditions. Number one, you ask, does a person have the gift of singleness? And the answer I would say is, number one, only if they are content. They are content in their singleness and have self-control. They're content in their singleness and have self-control. Some people are content being single. They don't have any interest in really being married. They do not, furthermore, verse 8, burn with passion, as the text says. I'm sorry, in verse 9. They are self-controlled, they are satisfied, they're at ease with their marital state, and their satisfaction and contentment doesn't come from the fact that they've simply gotten used to a particular life. Some people have, quote-unquote, given up or resigned themselves because of many years of trying. They would get married if they felt like they had more success or more confidence. It doesn't necessarily mean that a person has that gift simply because they are single. But secondly, not only are they content and self-controlled, but secondly, they desire to use their life to serve the Lord. They desire to use their life to serve the Lord. As we'll see later, one of the benefits that God has gifted those who are single is the advantage of investing themselves for the kingdom of God. God gives particular gifts for people. He gives particular gifts and those gifts are for a particular purpose. He doesn't gift somebody... I don't believe he gives somebody with a gift of signal simply so that they can have more fun playing volleyball, have more desire to travel by themselves, pursue their own interests, or to live for themselves. No, I believe God has given them a particular gift and opportunities and blessings by which they can use their life to serve Him more. It doesn't mean that they're in full-time ministry. Maybe they might be a tent maker. Maybe they might be in a secular profession. But in their singleness, they desire to use their life for God. And so their aim is that to remain single. And God gives them that gift so that they can have undistracted devotion to the Lord. So... If someone were to ask, boy, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? I would say at least two reasons. One is that one is content and self-controlled. And secondly, that they desire really to use their life to serve God. Now, for most people, the norm is that they want to be married. They want to have a spouse. They want to have a, a family or they have strong physical desires. But we know that some don't have those strong physical desires as we saw last time in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus is speaking of eunuchs. He's speaking of eunuchs and he says some were born that way. They do not see themselves in that particular way of desiring, having strong burning desires. It is better for someone to be married if they do. But they want to see themselves for the purpose of being able to serve God more freely. Then they may have that gift. The norm for the vast majority of people, though, is that God has for them a spouse. And there is goodness in that. So, 
Here Paul is advocating singleness. Why does he do so? As I mentioned before, many people would see singleness as a detriment, as a curse, as something that is not complete, as something that is awful, as something that is negative. So addressing the subject of marriage, he is from verses 10 all the way through 24. But now he addresses this passage and he gives a number of reasons, a number of blessings that come for the single individual. In verse 25, he says, Now concerning the virgins, I have no command of the Lord. And he uses this as a preface and he says, I give an opinion by the mercy of the Lord who is trustworthy. Now what does that mean? I've had somebody say to me, Boy, he gives his opinion. That, that, that means that this is not a part of the Bible or, or that's not really what God said, that's what Paul says? The answer is no. What Paul is referring to here is he has no previous command, no previous instruction about how singles ought to conduct themselves or the blessings of singleness. There is no previous command of the Lord. Now he gives what God will inevitably inspire as a part of his word. Not to invalidate the inspiration of Scripture. No, God has made this a part of His Word as well. And here He gives six reasons. Six reasons why singleness is a blessing. Six reasons why remaining single can be advantageous. And the first blessing of singleness is this. Preservation from outward family suffering. Preservation from outward family suffering. He writes in verse 26, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. What is the present distress that he is referring to? Why is he saying that it's good in view of this? The word is a word that we would translate or refer to understand as calamity. And it refers to some impending difficulty. And Paul could have had in mind the impending persecution that was coming. He could have had in mind the problems that were very serious in the Corinthian church. He could have had in mind even that we are living today in the last days, a period of time when Jesus could come tomorrow. So, in light of the present distress, it's good for a man to remain as he is. And it very well could be that the fact that, you know what, today is one day closer to the Lord returning than yesterday was. And times are difficult. In Corinth, in history, Fox's Book of Martyrs writes about Erastus, who was the treasurer of the city of Corinth, who was a convert. And one of the early Christian martyrs, likely converted by Paul, or we think of even today, the calamity that has come upon a lot of people. For more people have died for their faith in Christ in the last century than all of the other centuries combined. So in light of persecution, in light of difficulty, Paul says it may be better, it is good for a man to remain as he is. You see, it's a lot easier for a person who is single. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen to their family or who's going to feed their children or what's going to happen to their wife. 
when I've had the opportunity to travel abroad to, for missions work, and I think about those things. I think about dying. I think about what's going to happen. So I write out a little tiny, you know, whatever will is. I don't have to have anything formal. It'll all go to my folks anyways. I write down what I want. I kind of hide it someplace and I tell my older brother, my will is here. This is what I'd like to have done, etc. Especially to more dicey areas, you know. I just make sure that that's in order and I think about being... And those of you who have been to Africa, we even talked about it there. It's not like if you were to pass away, they have a whole lot of refrigeration there for your body. And you would hate to be thinking about that, especially burdened with that if you have a family. And I think to myself, boy, you know, having gone near the Congo border and how they kidnap people who are missionaries and they hold them for ransom or whatever, I think to myself, I don't have to worry about a wife worrying or who's going to feed my kids, who's going to support my family, etc. It probably, it would probably frustrate them. They'd think, man, we only got 50 bucks out of this guy. Being a single spares one from the outward family concerns of persecution that may come or difficulty that might come and the responsibility of being a father or a mother, a husband or a wife. He says here, because of the present distress, he's referring to something that is outward. And secondly, he says that one of the benefits of singleness is that you avoid the inward marital trouble. The avoidance of inward marital trouble, verse 27 and 28. It says, are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And she goes on, yet such will have trouble in this life. He's referring to those who marry. And I'm trying to spare you. Some in Corinth thought that being single was godlier than being married. In fact, they were asking, and we'll see in the coming weeks. Some thought, well, I have, a, I have a person who is unmarried. I've become a Christian, you know, and my husband is not a believer. Should I leave him? And later on, we'll cover that passage in verses 10 and following. Some thought, well, it's much be better. I should, I should go and be a monk. Don't think to yourself, oh, I wish I could be single. No, if you married, you have not sinned, it says. But there is trouble. There is trouble. The point is that neither is it wrong to be married nor to get married. But becoming single if you're married or getting married is not something that we're to be preoccupied with. It doesn't mean that one is not to be open to opportunities God brings about. But one is not to be consumed with the idea that, well, I need to get married. Some people think that way. They're consumed with their singleness and wanting to be married. I remember a long time ago, and, and those of you who know me know that I, I, I like to meet people and I like to be friendly. I, when I was a kid, I used to open the window. My mother would be driving. I'd like to wave and say hi to all the people on the street. I thought to myself, why not bring them a smile on that day? Especially like those construction workers because, you know, they would wave back. The cops wouldn't wave back. They were just doing traffic or something. And I love to meet people. And a number of years ago, I, uh, I remember this one time. And after church, of course, I like greeting people. And all those of you who know me too know that I don't always say the right thing sometimes. Sometimes I say the wrong thing. But in this case, I don't think it was what I said. I was greeting somebody. I saw somebody in the back. They were right over there, I remember. And I, I went over and I said, Welcome to LHBC. Nice to have you worship with us this morning. And it happened to be a, a gal who was single. 
She brushed her hair. She looked at me and said, Oh, I don't think I could ever marry a pastor. No, I don't think it's what I say. What did I say? I thought to myself, I, I don't want to marry you either. I just want to say hello. Some people are preoccupied with it. I mean, you ask some people. I have a good friend, long-time friend. I call him up. I say, hi, how are you? He says, I'm fine. I'm still single. I think to myself, man. Some people ask me things like, well, have you ever tried equally yoked? I say, uh, no, I haven't. E-harmony, you know, whatever it might be. You know, they have a sale on this weekend. It's free. I tell them, no, I've never looked at those sites. Not, um, are you against it or something? What's wrong? I say, no, I'm not against it. I mean, look at Dave and Cheryl. They're great. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't think, I don't have any difficulty with that. But it doesn't preoccupy me. It's not a priority of mine. And it's funny what some people say. You know, I get calls at the office sometimes. Or, you know, people come to visit church. Some of them are very, very upfront with me. Pastor, Pastor, I'll tell you upfront, I'm interested in meeting a nice Christian girl. And I'm thinking to myself, do you have any there? And I'm thinking to myself, well, yes, but uh, none that I want to introduce you to right now. I mean, these folks, sometimes they're on the hunt. They're on the hunt. It's not wrong to take initiative, to be open to things, to pray, not be passive. Take whatever opportunities God gives to you. But it's not to consume one and to be preoccupied with getting married. Paul's intent is found in verse 28. Yet such will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. You see, anytime you put two sinners together, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. Anytime you put two sinners together, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have communication issues or money issues or parenting issues or unfulfilled expectations for those who are married. And someday there's going to be the grief that comes when one spouse passes away. So you have all sorts of marriage and family counselors. You have all sorts of courses you can take in college. You can major in marriage and family counseling. You can't major in single counseling. You don't see single counselors. I mean, who am I going to argue with? Me, myself, and I? Marriage doesn't solve all of one's problems. Some people think, boy, I'm, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. I, I want, And of course, it brings the benefit of that. But there are a lot of married people who are lonely as well. There are a lot of married people who bring that loneliness with them. Why? Maybe it's because of a lack of communication. They cannot connect or whatever it might be. Selfishness or unfulfilled expectation. And that's not to say that there's not tremendous benefit to being married. Of course there is, and we've seen some of those. But to one who is single, they can also have a fulfilled life. But one in this passage is not to be consumed with being married, nor is one who is married to be consumed with trying to be released from that marriage bond. Paul knows there is trouble, and he says he is trying to what? Spare people of that if God has gifted them. Third reason, a proper perspective and priorities of life. Verse 29 through 31. And he says the time has been shortened. 
The time has been shortened. And then he says, those who weep, not as we, those who weep, rejoice as though they did not rejoice, etc. And the point in that passage is that marriage is an earthly institution. Marriage is an earthly institution. It is temporal. Remember when Jesus was speaking about marriage in Matthew 22, verse 30? He says this, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now in heaven, you won't be going to any weddings. In heaven, you won't be looking for your perfect mate. In heaven, you won't be getting married. You won't even be married in heaven. Our attention will be on the worship of God and upon the things of the Lord, not upon our spouse and our spouse's concerns. The idea behind the passage is that life is short. There's a shortness to life. As James reminds us in 4.14, life's like a vapor. You boil water and the vapor comes up, the steam comes up and then it disappears just like that. And he lists a number of areas to keep in mind, you know, your spouse or your good times or your bad times or worldly pleasures or worldly possessions. Whether you see it's the area of family or emotions or whether it's the area of the world, Paul wants us to what? Keep things in perspective, keep the priorities of life. Because what? Because there are things eternal that are more important. So he says here, if if you're married or if you possess things or whatever it is, let's not be consumed with all of those things. The priorities oftentimes are skewed. There's an imbalance oftentimes when one has a family or one is married. One stops striving oftentimes. People stop stretching or impacting the world or their their mindset is not upon the things of God. Many times I've heard people share that after they've been married or after they've had kids or whatever, it's so hard to, to walk with God. Many times people have tried to live day by day because it's a struggle, it's a fact of life. When you're more busy and you have activity after activity or celebration after celebration, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. John MacArthur writes, quote, Today it has become increasingly difficult because of close attachments to families to get Christians, including missionaries, to be strongly dedicated just serving the Lord. In many cases, they do not want to be separated from their companionship of their wives for more than a week or two at most, even though an important ministry may need more time than that. There must be a balance, a scriptural balance, between fulfilling marriage needs and serving the Lord. The primary affections of all Christians, whether married or single, should be set, quote, on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. We must understand the priority of the eternal over the temporal, unquote. It is true, isn't it? You know, many times I watch the news. I watch the news pretty frequently and I read the newspaper and there never goes by a day, I think, for a long time now when we haven't heard about the war. 
We haven't heard about our soldiers. We hear every day how they're doing. And I have a great admiration for them. Hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of men and women who serve our country. And they go on tours of duty for three months, for six months, sometimes longer. To serve and to protect our country, don't they? They're dedicated, they're committed, they put themselves in harm's way so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have. They do it for our country. They do it for honor. And their families stand proudly behind them. And they pray for them and they encourage them. And they hear and when they speak, they say, It is an honor for me to serve the United States of America, to serve this great country. But when it comes to serving God... People have a different view oftentimes. Investing in spiritual things. No one has asked anyone to be away for six months or three months. And rarely is someone even gone from their family for three weeks. Ask somebody to go away for three days and it's a challenge. And it's really difficult for some to be gone for even three hours in order to serve the Lord. Serving God is often not viewed as, wow, my mom, my dad can serve God. What an honor it is. Sometimes it's viewed in a negative light. What an intrusion upon my family. What an imposition upon my agenda. What an inconvenience it is because I have to put in so much work in order to do this thing. And you know, I'm not advocating the neglect of one's family. I'm not advocating the neglect of one's children because oftentimes there's a comeback. Well, you know what? Someone can dedicate so much of their time to the Lord and to the church, they lose their family. And it's true as well. But might I say that it's likely it is a small percentage that overdoes it in that arena. More often than not, it's the 10 or 20% that do most of the ministry of God and God's kingdom. So how about you? What about you? Do you have an eternally minded family? Do you have an eternally minded mindset? Would you say that we're living from next event to next event? Or would you say we are purposeful and intentional? Whether you're married or not, one's mind is to be upon the things of God. The benefit is that those who are single find it easier to have a proper perspective and priorities. Fourthly, he states in verse 32 to 35, the undistracted devotion to please God. The undistracted devotion to please God. I want you to be free from concern, verse 32. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. One who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, how she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, so she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. You know, one of the greatest benefits of a person who is single is the opportunity for undivided attention. The opportunity for undistracted devotion to the Lord. Whereas the person who is married and he's simply stating a fact of life, they're more concerned about many other things. 
That is not to say that the person who is single is automatically godlier. That is not to say that the person who is single, they are automatically going to be focused on the things of God. When a person is single, in fact, there is greater temptation sometimes to live for oneself, to live an undisciplined life, to live a life without purpose, and to generate sometimes greater selfishness. It's tempting to be distracted by the lures of the world when one is single as well. Their devotion to the Lord is not there. Many times they're devoted to many, many things, not things of God. And I believe that God has given to us gifts in which we might be able to invest our gifts in the things of God. And the singleness of a person gives one advantage. Being single doesn't mean that one is more godly. In fact, they may be less godly or less mature. But practically speaking, Paul is sharing here about the fact that there are less family concerns, less distractions, and a greater propensity to please God because their attention can be focused on God. It's difficult. It's difficult for many families to have time away. Not impossible, but time away with the Lord or an evening of prayer. Not impossible, but more challenging and in many regards because those who are married are concerned about pleasing their spouse. Fifthly, another blessing is that of honoring one's parents. Verse 36 to 38. Now here's a particular passage that has to do with a cultural context in which a man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter and she is past her youth. She wants to be married. You see, in Jewish and Roman cultures, the fathers had a great deal to say in the marriage of their daughters. And as you know, many people would have arranged marriages. Fathers would make an arrangement with another father, such and such a price, such and such a dowry. These would be the arrangements and they would marry their daughter off. Now, some fathers were thinking, as one commentator writes, quote, in the light of extant teaching about the advantages of singleness... Some of the fathers in Corinth apparently had dedicated their young daughters to the Lord as permanent virgins. Unquote. Now when their daughters became older, they wanted to get married and the fathers were in a quandary. Should I allow my child to get married because I've made a vow for them? And their decision was based upon a misunderstanding of singleness and marriage. And unlike the many sentiments of many people, Paul corrects this. And he says, you know what? He who gives his daughter to be married does well. And he who doesn't, well, does well as well or does better. Both are good things. And a husband is not bound by that. But in either case, the blessing for the person who is single is their parents' approval. Their parents' blessing. Their parents' clarity of conscience in what they do before the Lord. And I think that the principle here that we can draw eternally is that the parent has a great say and to find one's parents' approval is important. Now, I've had occasion, some people have come and asked me, well, how do you decide? When is, when is a child able or when do they definitely need their parents' approval before getting married? I mean, how, how is it that they, that, they, that they decide? I remember having a case, like they were from another church. They came over to my house, a family in a very distressing and vexing situation. Their child wanted to get married. 
to a particular guy. The parents didn't think too much of the guy, but the child was older and etc. And she was on her own, etc. What do you do when a child is 30, 40 or 50? How do they honor their parents? What about the passage that says Ephesians 6.1? Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. At what point is a child no longer a child such that they would not be sinning if they did not do what their parents had thought? For some parents may not like someone because of an unbiblical reason. Maybe it's they're of a different race. Maybe they're of a particular economic, economic situation, etc. Don't know the reason. And I've always answered the question in this way, feeling that if a person, a child, is dependent, living underneath the parent's care, considered as underneath their roof, supported by them, they're obligated under the parent's authority. They're obligated to obey and follow what their parents would say, as long as it is not against the word of God. Because God has given parents the right and the responsibility to guard and protect, to provide for their children. And if a child is dependent, still living underneath your authority and care, they are to obey, they are to follow your instructions. The second guideline, though, is whether or not a parent's concern or directive is, as it says there, in the Lord. Because as I mentioned, some parents who don't know the Lord have prejudices or unbiblical reasons or they ask something of the child or they don't want the child to be married because they want the child always to be with them it's because of a selfish reason and yet if that child is independent and on their own and older then you know what I don't think that they have disobeyed they honor their parents by showing them the respect and regard of showing them honor in different ways but do they need to obey I believe that if they are of age, if they're independent, not under the authority and care of the parent, and their parent is not asking them to do something that is unbiblical, or that the parent is, perhaps their directive is unbiblical, then they have their own independent decision to make. And in the context of the passage, the principle is that what? We can honor our parents, even as a single individual, Consciences can be cleared on all accounts. There's no shame to being married. There's no shame to being single. As long as God is honored in all cases. Lastly, the last principle that Paul writes out here is that of prospective joy. Verse 39, prospective joy. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. God's intention for people is that they be married for a lifetime. God's intention is that people would be married for all of this life. And it was never in God's intention for divorce to occur. But we know that divorce has happened. We know divorce is a reality. To underscore that even though sometimes the Bible may benefit many things regarding singles, whether one is divorced or unmarried or, or, or one who is a virgin, God has gifted them in different ways. And for a person who is a widow, it says here, they're free to be married if they're widowed to whom she wishes only in the Lord. 
As long as they are a believer, as long as they are following the Lord's commands, they are free to remarry. They are free to remarry. She may very well though, Paul says, may very well be happier if she remains unmarried. And just to counter the potential group of Corinthians that may disagree, he says, I think I also have the Spirit of God. Some Corinthians may have thought that advocating of a different view, but Paul affirms his own Spirit-filled life. So contrary to what people may think, being single has its advantages. Being single can be a blessing. Being single, one can experience lifelong joy. Whether they are divorced or widowed or virgins, single people are not a pitiful state, are not a second class, are not relegated to lifelong misery. The potential for lifelong joy in the service of God, if one has fully lived for the Lord, is there. That one can live a full and fulfilled life as a single individual if God has gifted to them to that. There are those who are content those who desire to serve God with their lives. And there are many benefits. The benefit of preserving them from outward persecution or suffering. The preservation or the avoidance of inward marital trouble. That they might have a greater perspective on their priorities. And that they can be totally devoted to pleasing God in their heart. Undistracted by the things of the world. That they can honor one's parents. And that they will have perspective joy. As we see in the lives of people in the scriptures, whether it be John the Baptist, whether it be Paul or Timothy or Anna or the Lord Jesus, or even today, whether it be Amy Carmichael, Gladys Allward, or Rachel Saint, the wife of Nate Saint, a widower who raised her kids among the Aka Indians in Ecuador, or whether it be even today, the godly men like John Stott. God has called some to be single. And when He does, He gifts them, He prepares them, He provides for them with His grace to do His will. God has gifted some to be single. God has gifted to others to be married. To each his own, Paul says, that God has given gifts. And they're to be seen as gifts, whether one is married or one is single. For there are blessings, both to those who are married and blessings to those who are single in their life stage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. You have blessed us, O God, with the privilege of your word. And Father, I pray, I pray, O God, that you would be with those, whether they're single or married. For those who are in a marriage or those, we pray that you would help them. For we know that there is often difficulties, disagreements, conflict that comes because of sin and selfishness. We pray, Father, that each person might have the mind of Christ, that their marriage would reflect your desire and the relationship between Christ and His church. The unity, the closeness, O oh God, we pray that you would bless these marriages. May they not sail through life, O oh God, simply surviving, but may it be a blessed relationship. And I pray, Father, for those who are single. Lord, I pray that you would provide, if it be your will, for them a spouse. 
that you, Father, would give them contentment and help them, Father, to set their minds on the things of you, that their devotion might be to serve you. They might not be consumed with loneliness or having a spouse. But, Father, in either case, we pray that you would bless and we pray, God, that we might see that you have given to each a gift. In Jesus' name, amen.